Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Hello. It's Nomi Moore. And Robert Fisher. Um, Babe, what are we talking about today? We are talking about Candyman. (gasps) Don't say it too many times because we've got two mirrors in this room. Okay, well, we've only said it once. Is there something that we should say if we need to refer to him? Like CM? So we don't say it multiple times? No, just don't say it multiple times. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) sounds good. I won't. Um, So we're talking about both movies. We're talking about the original from 1992, Mm -hmm. um, starring Virginia Madsen, who I adore and ever have since the, I think it was the late 80s, I saw her in like a TV movie with Chris Sarandon, where she played a teacher and had an affair with him, who was another teacher, but she went all like crazy fatal attraction. I've seen that. I oh, haven't seen like, a, I haven't seen a lot of TV so movies because they're all so terrible. But that I've seen. That. Yeah, it was. I think it may have even been like an ABC like mini series or something. Movie of the um, week. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then just a, like a few years after that, I saw her in um, Candyman. Mm-hmm. So that the first one came out in 1992. right? Um, and then the the sequel came out this year. And I think that it is a true sequel because it's from the same universe, mm-hmm. but it gives us a little bit more of uh, an origin story. Yeah, absolutely. It. Yeah. And um, I think if we talk talk about the first one mm-hmm. and then kind of how that segues into the second one, because I think that there is not an identical theme, but a definite conjoining theme. Yeah. Which is, I mean, racism and redlining, right? Right. So the first one uh, takes place in 1992. I think it is a cinematic masterpiece because it manages to be a horror movie and sophisticated both at the same time. I think you're right. It's also, to me, one of the first films to do something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a few that are on par. The Exorcist is in line with that. Um What's another really excellent uh, Amityville at times? The Amityville horror has a little bit of that uh, sophistication to it that I that I like. There's there's a few of them like that that I think are on that like upper echelon of of horror films. Yes, but Candyman takes it to the slasher genre mm-hmm. because this is a villain who is cutting his victims from groin to gullet with a hook where his hand should be, mm-hmm. and to have the level of sophistication that I think this movie does with the level of gore oh, yeah. is really a feat. Especially for 92. Yes. That's a lot. So you have you have that sophistication, you have that level of gore, and you have that level of social commentary that's kind of unheard mm-hmm. of at the time. Well, it's such a complex issue that they're really talking about mm-hmm. that the only way to do the subject matter justice is to be sophisticated about your storytelling. And what they're doing by creating a horror movie out of it is, I think, sort of giving you a little teaspoon of sugar with the medicine. Yeah. Okay. And I think that what the movie this year did with Jordan Peele was take it even one step further Mm -hmm. and really force now accountability. Because once you know better, then any ignorance after that is willful. And you will be held accountable for that willful ignorance moving forward. That's what I think. I think so, too. Mm -hmm. So the premise of the original was that there was one Candyman played by Tony Todd. And, of course, his origin story is that he 
was punished for being in an interracial relationship mm-hmm. in the mid 1800s, right? Right. And so he was kind of ran through town like Frankenstein, tortured and killed, and then comes back in this spiritual manner to seek revenge for the way that he was treated. Right. Now, the underlying story is that when you have people who are living in such poverty, they create these villains to deal with the real-life issues that are going on around them. Mm -hmm. So as you're watching the movie, you're trying to counterbalance, is this something that's really happening, or is this something that this very poor, derelict community is attributing to in the same way that humans, before we really had any kind of self-awareness, would attribute everything to the gods? Right. And just to be clear, this this is there's a difference between poor and actual extreme poverty. Yes. So the movie takes place primarily in Cabrini Green, which was a project's development right smack dab in the center of Chicago, five minutes from where I used to live when I was a kid and I lived there with my parents for a few years. Mm -hmm. So Cabrini Green was built in the late 40s. They they had uh, like row houses and it was really to help out veterans after the war who had trouble maintaining housing or or finding housing for themselves. Oh, okay. And then eventually they built the towers that everybody really became to know. Mm -hmm. And those were done in the late 60s. And (laughs) ready for this? Okay. When they were built, the requirement was that 75% of the occupants had to be white and only 25% could be people of color. Now, as the years progressed and we got into the 80s, that changed. Mm -hmm. Because what happened to this neighborhood was the city basically cut off all major veins and arteries. It was right in the middle of the city. You had the L train, or what we would refer to as the loop, that made a loop around the city and separated Cabrini Green from the rest of the city. And when I say I lived five minutes from there, I literally lived five minutes from there in Old Town, Mm -hmm. just on the other side of the tracks, in a million-dollar townhouse. And five minutes away, there are people living in extreme poverty without basic necessities of life, to the point where the city paved over all of the grasslands with concrete so that they wouldn't have to maintain anything. No grass, no trees, no nothing. areas. And then they had to put up chain link fencing on the exterior because the open corridors, people would either jump to commit suicide or would be thrown out to be killed. Jesus. But in putting up the chain link fencing, it made it difficult for officers to see into those corridors. And so the gangs who ran those buildings would have snipers in the apartments and would shoot people from inside the building and you couldn't see where it was coming from. And and this is a place of extreme poverty and tragedy. Mm-hmm. People were being killed all the time. Kids were being killed. A nine-year-old girl, trigger warning, nine-year-old girl was raped, strangled, and poisoned in one of the stairwells is still alive today, permanently blind and injured from this, but trying to move forward. So you have to think about what projects really are in this capacity. It is a lawlessness, and it is, in my opinion, a form of a concentration camp for undesirable people. Mm -hmm. 
And that is what I think the original Candyman story is really trying to bring light to, and unfortunately has to do it in such a way as to not offend society by holding up too reflective of a mirror to what right. we've done. Yeah, especially in the 90s, I feel like they, the studio executives felt like they had a responsibility to keep it as uh, vague and yet still spooky, horror-filled, uh, but focusing on people of color and then throwing in a white woman so that mm-hmm. we had, so that general audiences had someone to relate to exactly. in the story, when really the story that needed to be told was the story that was told in this most recent 2021 version. I completely agree. I think it's flipping the narrative Mm -hmm. and telling the story, not just from the perspective of these people, rather than the white woman played by, played by Virginia Madsen. Um, Yeah. Sorry. I lost my train of thought there. I got distracted for a minute. Um, But you go ahead and keep talking and I'll come back. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, my experience with Candyman is, is fairly recent. Cause as we mentioned, I haven't been a horror fan until like, I would say the last 15 years of my life, having been introduced by Miss Nomi Moore. <laughs> I think the first movie, the first horror movie that you watched was when I took you to go see the remake of Halloween. Yeah. And, and even I had no idea how bad no. that was going to be. For you. That was the first horror film that I intentionally <laughs> went to the theater to go watch. I think. Yeah, it was, it was bad. And look at you now. <laughs> Hooray. Hooray. I did it. Um, so my connection with Candyman is limited. And I remember as a kid seeing it and thinking, okay, well that is a movie about, now, as a kid, not having never seen it, it's about a white woman who is facing dangers from a community of people of color. Mm-hmm. And like Bloody Mary, you can't say his name multiple times. Like, that's what I took from the story. Yeah, exactly. We all know that it's there, but shh, 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 don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Just mm-hmm. pretend it doesn't exist and eventually it'll go away. Yeah. No, it won't. Right. And the more we pretend that, the worse it gets. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then looping back. Um, so, yes, the story needs to be told from the perspective of the people and their narrative. Right. And we can do that now in 2021. Whereas in 1992, as you said, we needed to have a white anchor mm-hmm. for the general audience at that point in time. Yeah. Because otherwise people would just think they were going to go see Boys from the Hood. Right. And totally miss what it was about. And even that, I think, was such, for lack of a better word, an awesome narrative and an eye-opening narrative for so many people. Yet, once again, just completely lost. The message is just gone. Because I don't think that there's enough empathy in the world for people who are not like the subject that we may be talking about in the, in the original film or are you, are you talking about in the original still? film okay. in the, in the sequel and outside of the Candyman, that's two yeah. franchise. <laughs> it's two that you recall. <laughs> We've said it a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to edit this and take some of them out. <laughs> if we make it that far. <laughs> so also growing up with everything that you hear there is a highly exaggerated fear about Cabrini Green mm-hmm. at the time that I was in Chicago. 
But just because it was an exaggerated fear also doesn't mean that it is not a valid threat. Mm -hmm. And I mean a, a valid threat to humanity because humans should not and cannot continue to abuse each other the way that we have. Right. I don't know if we're capable of that as the animals that we are, but if we really truly want to evolve so that we don't implode on ourselves, we're going to have to find a way to recognize our differences as positives instead of negatives. Yeah. So, anywho, moving forward to 2021, mm-hmm. I think that door was opened when Helen was introduced as the new protagonist at the end of the original Candyman. Because through the whole movie, there was only one Candyman. And then all of a sudden, now you have Helen as a candy woman, if you will. Hmm. Opening the door for multiple candy men, which is what we are now introduced to in the 2021 sequel, which I love because I love a backstory. No, it was excellent. And and you bring up a good point because in the original, I remember seeing that and thinking, okay, well, does that mean that she's the new Mm -hmm. one? Mm -hmm. Or does it mean that there are multiple as, as we're, as we then find out, discover that these stories are all interconnected by, by means or by way of, uh, creating these, uh, storytelling moments, as you mentioned before, to almost explain away the pain, right? To, to like a coping mechanism, what these people deal with on a daily life as they struggle to survive in this forced living situation, they have to come up with something to uh, a scapegoat to take away from the pain that they're feeling every day. Absolutely. So it's interesting to see how these multiple stories have all come to life and have uh, worked their way through time, through storytelling and through Mm -hmm. legend and through um, these kind of children's tales of of caution. Grim fairy tales. Yeah, it it is kind of like the modern grim. Well, and there is something really savvy about a cautionary tale when done properly. Like even in terms of death becomes her. You can take the movie for its face value and enjoy it. But then if you look at the message, it's it's nice to have something that provokes thought as well as entertain. Yeah. Right? So in, in the 2021 movie, there was actually a scene that was cut with Virginia Madsen. And she did do some voiceover work. But there was a scene, I think, at a funeral or in church where uh, the new lead character or the new Candyman, and pardon my pronunciation, um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, I think that's how his name's pronounced. I haven't heard it yet, but that's my phonetic (laughs) phonetic pronunciation of it. Um, He saw her in the pews as Helen, um, you know, after the the pyre fire, Mm -hmm. and she was nodding at him, like supposedly like a knowingly nod, um, indicating that he was progressing into this Candyman state. Mm -hmm. And I thought that would have been really cool to have seen. Plus it would have been really nice to see Virginia Madsen again. I do like those fan service moments, especially with, yes, with franchises that have this kind of longevity. When you see Mm -hmm. something 30 years later and they, they do something to tie it in for the fans. I really like those moments. Yes. And another tie-in is the the love story. If you think about going back to 1992, it was a love story between Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen's characters. 
because she was the woman in the paintings from the mid 1800s. Right. So it was a love story. It was an interracial love story. And in this love story, you had one person in the ethereal or spiritual world and Mm -hmm. one person in the real physical world. Cut to 2021, it's another love story with the two characters um, and introducing Tayona Paris, who plays the sort of uh, Virginia Madsen-esque type role, um, the, the the heroine, if you will, right? The antagonist of, of the movie. And the two of them are in this love relationship and both in the physical world and how it kind of plays out in almost a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 sort of way. Ooh, how so? Whereas Candyman is coming into and inhabiting um, his character's name, Anthony, Mm -hmm. who turns out to be, spoiler alert, the little kid from the first one. That was a nice moment. Awesome moment. Mm -hmm. Um, As he's inhabiting or being inhabited by the Candyman entity, right? It's in the same vein. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah? Yeah. I do love Nightmare on Elm Street too. <laughs> Sidebar. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> yeah. it's really good. And if you take away the whole like homosexual veneer. Oh, I love that right? too. But yeah. But, but take it away for a minute and focus on the the subject matter of Freddy Krueger inhabiting this person, taking him over in the physical world. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening with Candyman. And much like a Nightmare on Elm Street 2, it's a love story. And Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was a love story between the lead character I forget his name and the uh, heroine who the actress is a near dead ringer for Meryl Street. She's gorgeous. Right. right. Uh, a love story between the two of them. And and at the end of that movie, how that journey has shaped and actually brought them closer together and brought her to the other side to be with him, even if it's just in an emotional way or not necessarily a metaphysical way. Yeah. And the same thing happened at the end of two when, when she called him. Mm hmm. It's a love story. It 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 is. It, it has it has that sensibility as well that I really respect. I think that has a lot to do with the director, um, who also happens to be a female woman of color, Nia DaCosta, who I think just did an incredible wow. job. Just it, you can tell that it had. It, we were talking about sophistication before. This was just excellent. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So where I think the social commentary part of the film changes Mm -hmm. is in this second movie, in the 2021 version, it's about gentrification. Mm. Mm -hmm. So the first one was about the projects and people, how people live in the projects and basically concentration camps for undesirables. Right. Now we've gone in and decided, well, this is no good. We can't have this anymore. So we've got to get rid of all of this and we've got to gentrify it. We've got to bring it up. And that's what they did with Cabrini Green. Right. And they started tearing it down. I think it was in the late 90s. And I think the last tower came down in 2011. I know it came down in 2011, regardless of when they started. Mm -hmm. And all those people, and they're talking 19,000 homes. All those people were displaced, being told that when the mixed income housing is finished, they will have a place to come and live. But what happened is, is you've got now mixed income living. So mm-hmm. these people won't be able to afford a $600,000 townhouse. And I don't know where our, our listeners are, are listening from right now, but 
a six hundred thousand dollar townhouse in Chicago in comparison would be like a one point two to one point five million dollar townhouse in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Or a two million dollar townhouse in New York. So this is not cheap real estate, right? Be, just because it's under a million dollars. So now these displaced people are told, we don't have enough room for all of you because the housing has been either spoken for or been paid for, Mm -hmm. but you can enter a lottery to see if you can win a place to live here. I mean, they knew what they were doing from the get-go. Every time a neighborhood is gentrified, it is done with intent. And I will say malicious intent, as if what they're cleaning up wasn't malicious enough to start with. Right. And, and and at some point they've decided that the culture or the people who are who Im- inhabit these areas don't belong in the areas that they live in, so they just sweep it clean and it's awful. I agree, and and I think to like wrap up the tone of the second candy man, it feels to me like ultimately as long as man is going to continue to torture itself Mm -hmm. and mankind, people are always going to need to create a victim because we're always going to need a reason why, because we have to understand the things that are being done to us. And sometimes bad things are just too hard to understand. Right. So we create this villain And I think that when you think of it in that terms, then the movie takes on a much more metaphysical tone. Yeah, absolutely. I think another good point that the second film brought to light, at least for me, and you brought up the idea of gentrification versus just looking at specific areas, is realizing that these stories and these horrors, these awful things that are happening happen regardless of what the situation is. It's not, these bad things aren't happening just because they're projects. They're not just happening because of the people that are living in them. They they got rid of the projects and it's still happening. It's they're they're affluent communities and these horrible atrocities are still happening. It's yeah. It it, it plays into redlining. It plays Mm -hmm. into eminent domain. Right. As, as, the privileged people of this world become more and more privileged. They're now expanding out because they're the ones that can actually afford to reproduce now. Right. They can afford what it takes to have multiple children. Those multiple children have multiple children. And these bloodlines protect their wealth to ensure the masses of their bloodlines going down the road. Yep. And so as that privilege, once again, builds into a tighter and tighter knit community, that tighter knit community physically branches out and takes over. Yeah. It's really frustrating. It is very frustrating. And I just want to say thank you to the filmmakers and the storytellers who have the courage to stand up to the system and and not just the system, but the systematic way in which victims are victimized in this country, which they are many and varied. Yeah. And it's time to change. We need to do better, period. They are both very good movies. They are sophisticated. They are savvy. They are entertaining. And they will both scare the <laughs> out of you. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I'm happy ending on that note with this. Yeah.
Have a question for us or want to be a guest on our podcast? Email us at hello at mrandmrs.show. Or for more information and episodes, visit our webpage at mrandmrs.show.